welcome back to the real world. Enter the real world. Com. That's two E's in real, like a film reel, because this is kind of a film website. Speaking of films, another word for films is movies, and this is There Will Be Movies, a podcast wherein we talk about 25 of our favourite movies from a given decade. My name is Matt Waters, I'm joined by Ben Phillips. Ben, how are you right this moment? I'm good. I've done a walk, we're ready to record. Yeah, we've been recording two at a time lately. You'll probably be able to tell, audio conditions or some weird shit, I don't know. So yeah, if you want to get the rundown on how we arrived at this list of 25 films all the weird rules and caveats and conditions we put ourselves under and definitions all of that's available on episode zero enter the real or soundcloud.com like a mat we don't want to explain them every time but i will explain how you can find out about them every time apparently episode four we are talking about oceans 11 so this is another pick from me i don't even feel i need to defend this one like i know it's not the most critically beloved movie ever but it's just fun as hell and it's this big stupid collection of big name actors who you know it's Ocean's Eleven and like if they made this today all 11 of them would be huge actors and realistically about five or six of them might be but yeah it's just like a cool stylish slick thing and we we said how movies should be fun and this has got fun just like oozing out of it start to finish like Steven Soderbergh the director uh, said he wanted this to just be purely enjoyable and risk free and just fun and Speaking of Steven Soderbergh, I'm not going to track this, but I'm going to predict that he is by far the busiest person in this decade that we're covering in this. I, I mean, he is the busiest filmmaker in action. Like, even if you just list what he directed for movies, yeah. you're still, like, barely scratching the surface because he's got, like, four seasons worth of television that he directed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In this decade alone, I think he's the director on 14 movies, not including a short film, not including a film he wrote but didn't direct not including 21 different movies from that first set that he produced he is also the uncredited cinematographer on 12 of these 13 movies he directed in this decade so the busiest man in the world i don't yeah. know how many of these do you want to do you want to know something insane sure go for it he got two best director nominations in the same year that shouldn't happen <laughs> He got a Best Director nomination for Traffic and for Aaron Brockovich. Of course, and neither of which were really in strong contention for this list. And neither were the sequels to this movie, neither was Shay, Solaris, The Girlfriend Experience. I've seen The Girlfriend Experience, it's a weird fucking movie. I um, like the TV show. Yeah, I, I heard that's better. And he's getting into weird, wonderful shit now. Like He's making movies on iPhones and like making Black Mirror's Bandersnatch thing before they did it. Uh, is it called Mosaic, that thing? Mosaic, yeah. yeah. Logan Lucky's really good from this Logan decade. Lucky is very very good i'll give them that magic mike i think magic mike xsl is probably a bit more fun but if you like your kind of like horny movies then magic mike is <laughs> magic definitely mike, its legacy will be that it's just hot dudes stripping but magic mike is actually kind of good not amazing but i there's something about magic mike i kind of like i mean like the thing is like, i say i say he did work and he did the cinematography for for magic mike xsl yeah. he makes like... everything look good baby like he knows what he's doing as we have you know the one one film per director rule this is our soderbergh one I think we couldn't have covered this decade and not had a Soderbergh movie and it's fucking not going to be traffic. It's just that crazy thing like he credits himself as someone else for every single yes. movie when he does the cinematography. Yeah, Andrews, I can't remember, or Peter. Or, and yeah. he edits most, Peter Andrews and he edits most of his movies. He directed, edited, and cinematographed and then two entire seasons of television. Yep. When does he sleep is my question. <laughs> the Nick is really good. But definitely watch The Nick. Uh, okay. Soderbergh, uh, good director, but also he makes me feel like an incredibly tiny man. Yeah. <laughs> 
Who Among Us, written by Ted Griffin, who did Terriers and The Shield and some bad movies. Terriers, fantastic. Terriers is a show that you and Mike Thomas both want me to watch, and I just am probably never going to unless we do a podcast on it. So which of you can beat the other to the pitch of doing the podcast? I don't know. Terriers is just one of those shows where, like, I genuinely think that at the end of this decade, I will have it as, like, in my top ten drama shows of the decade. Wow. Obviously, it's not an original screenplay as a remake of a film of the same name from 1960s starring the Rat Pack and various others. It was released in December of 2001 in the US, February of 2002 in the UK. Uh, March of 2002 in the UK. Oh, okay. I had February. We are in a lover's tiff here. I am sorry, but this means... I've got, I've got 15th of March. Okay. Does this mean you're going to talk about 2002 in movies, or are we calling this 2001 and you're? No, this is still 2001. You covered that last week on Training Day. I don't know if there's anything extra you want to eke out of 2001. I will touch on its opening weekend in the UK. Sure. If I spell oceans correctly, because it's got an apostrophe in it. Yeah, they are his eleven, but he's one of them. So surely it's oceans (laughs) ten. Yes, it is. Surely I mean, we should be taking one off all the numbers in this series. I mean, you could including argue, Ocean's Eight. You could argue that he's with Julia Roberts. Is no, because she's role. the twelfth in Ocean's Twelve. <laughs> Ocean's Eleven opened number two at the UK box office with seven million pounds opening the weekend. It opened behind Monsters Inc., which which had eight million its second weekend. Another movie which came up a couple of times last week. Lord of the Rings was number three. Gossip Park number four. Shallow Howl number five. Man, remember when Shallow Howl was a thing? Do you Remember when uh, Amy Schumer remade it with I Feel Pretty? That is the UK box office that was, Ocean's Eleven. I mean, the thing to remember is, this is the biggest hit that we've covered so far. By this a long is, way. This, made this like, is the highest grossing movie of 2001. It made $450 million, which is a lot more than Training Day, and we talked about how uh, Memento and Almost Famous weren't even profitable. This, you know, on an $85 million budget, which was kept lower than well north of 100 because all the big names agreed to do it for less than they could have been charging. But it yeah, it made $450 million on an 85 budget. So, you know, if we could consider marketing, probably doubled the 85. It's still more than doubled its budget, I would say. Not a lot to be said about it, because, I mean, it's a remake of a film where the gimmick is, what if a bunch of famous people did some, like, sexy Las Vegas crimes? But it's crazy. This is this is in the top five worldwide grossing movies for George Clooney, Brad Pitt, and Matt Damon, still mm-hmm. to this day. They are three of the biggest movie stars in the world, yep. and George Clooney has one movie that's gross more than this. Brad Pitt has three. Four if you include Deadpool 2. <laughs> Let's. And Matt Damon has two, three if you include Interstellar. It is nuts. This movie is... It, I mean, it's not a monster in comparison to, like, it's not Avatar or Endgame or Titanic. And this is 2000-2001, where, like, I feel generally movies were making a little bit less than they are now. I, f- I feel almost everything makes hundreds of millions now. That might be a, just a misconception and that I mostly truck in superhero movies and that kind of shit, but it's crazy that a film that came out in, like, 2001-2002 could still be these guys' biggest film. And, like, Matt Damon's star was on the rise here. I know Brad Pitt and George Clooney were more well-established, but Damon was still on the up. And I know he had the Goodwill Hunting, had the Oscar stuff and everything, but I feel this is something that kind of made him a, a poster-worthy big star, in a way. Yeah, I mean, obviously George Clooney doesn't really do big movies. A lot of his stuff is very much like, I will do a movie if I want to do it. He probably still gets, like, ER residuals and stuff like that. Brad yeah. Pitt, again, is another one who, he does occasionally do the big-budget things, but very much operates more in kind of like, 
Oscar-y things. But Matt Damon has the biggest, or one of the biggest action franchises as him as the lead. Mm-hmm. It's crazy, like, this movie is, I'm not going to say it's the little movie that could, but, like, I'm just looking at this box office number and it's just like, it is so big. If we include Thor Ragnarok... <laughs> As well as Interstellar for Matt Damon, what happens then? Then this goes to number five for ah, Ragnarok. Still in indeed, the top five. <laughs> would indeed be Matt Damon's highest grossing movie worldwide. Fantastic. I said there's not a lot to say in terms of like development. Warner Bros. had this kicking about to remake this for a while. John Favreau declined to write it. Brett Ratner was almost the director. Thank God we got him out of there. Soderbergh wanted to film it in black and white, which is fun. And they were like, all right, but you got to make it for like half the money. And he was like, okay, never mind. Some fun casting rumors though. Mark Wahlberg, as I said last week, dropped out of this movie to be in Planet of the Apes, or he turned this down to be Planet of the Apes. He was considered for Linus, Matt Damon's character. Johnny Depp, also considered for Linus. Luke and Owen Wilson were going to be the the brothers, the, the, the drivers, the Malloys, I think. But they were committed to the Royal Tenement. Bombs, which also fucked them over because Danny Glover was going to be in it and he dropped out for Royal Tenenbaums or couldn't commit to it because of that. And Bill Murray was going to play a lounge singer in one of the casinos, but he was busy with the Royal Tenenbaums. So wow. Joel and Ethan Cohen also almost got cast as these two brothers. Wait, the, wait, wait, Joel and... What? The, the Cohen brothers, yes. What? I know. <laughs> they were like, who's brothers? Who's real brothers? Who can we wait, get? But then, but then they cast... <laughs> not they brothers, cast, yeah. They cast not brothers, but they cast... <laughs> They cast an actor they who cast... has a well-known celebrity brother. And one who... with a well-known celebrity father, yes. Yeah, but they cast one with a well-known celebrity brother whose best friend is in the movie. Yep, they sure did. Why wasn't it the Afflecks? I don't know either. <laughs> like, what was Ben Affleck doing at this point? Because like, obviously Casey Affleck is not a name at this point. Ben yeah. Affleck has his Oscar with Matt Damon. Yeah. Or the first of his Oscars. And that would have been Matt... another person to put on the poster. Ben Affleck. It would have been funny to have Matt Damon be the second build actor in this movie and then Ben Affleck be like... Like post the jump, but uh, I'm just I'm just I'm gonna have to look to see what like, was he shooting Pearl Harbor. There is was, a rumor to this day that Ben Affleck is somewhere in this movie because he was like seen on set visiting because he's friends with all these fucking men. One of them's his fucking brother, so he was right there. Like I'm sure he maybe he wasn't available for like the weeks that it took to film it, but I don't know this role for these two drivers. I'm sure they could have found a way if only. Yeah, I mean, like the thing is, like this is Fuck not you, the most Scott integral. Gunn. Yeah, this is not the like most <laughs> integral role in the entire movie. Movie right. is the Scott Kahn role. The Wilson brothers, the Cohen brothers, or the Afflecks, and we got we got none of those. <laughs> Some other bonkers people that were almost in this. Mike Myers, who the fuck knows who he was going to be? Maybe he was going to be Saul. Oh, oh, but like do him up in makeup. Yeah, doing something mildly racially offensive. Bruce Willis, who later does feature in Ocean's Twelve. Ewan McGregor was, I think he was going to be uh, Andy Garcia's character. Alan Arkin, probably Saul's character. Michael Douglas was going to be Andy Garcia's character. Ray Fiennes was going to be Andy Garcia's character. All these people. Everyone who's famous. And we end up with like five very famous people and a couple of somewhat recognisable people and then a bunch of nobodies. So there you go. So they made the sequel, or not the sequel, the spin-off last year with Ocean's 8. Yes. I um, never saw that and I kind of wish I had. Ocean's 8 is fun. It's not Ocean's 11 fun, but it's still like, it's it's not a bad time at the movies. I did not come out of it and go like, that sucked. Yeah. But like, you look at it and you go like, oh no, they did realise that all eight of these characters need to be names because it's... Yeah. I, yeah, I kind of feel the proportion of fame to those eight versus these 11. I think eight actually has bigger stars in it, personally. Yeah, it's, but... it's Bullock, Blanchett, Hathaway, Mindy Kaling, Sarah Paulson, Aquafina, and Rihanna, Helen yeah. Baumkarte. Even 
even if you say like Aquafina and Mindy Kaling are like less famous, but less still, famous, you but know like they're they but they're both like Mindy Kaling is in Late Night at yep. the moment. Aquafina is going to be in like a very critically acclaimed movie, the Act Cinemas very soon, which premiered at Sundance. Yep. Um, she was a runaway hit in Crazy Rich Asians, which um, has a sequel presumably coming. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, but it's but it's like even, look, you look at it in that, and then like obviously you've got Rihanna, who is the yeah. second second biggest singer in the world. Yeah, let's say that. It's basically her and Beyonce for female yeah, singers, yeah, 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 really. Yeah, yeah. And it's... then everyone else is like Oscar nominees, Oscar winners, people who front movies, and then Sarah Paulson, who is just the person who can do anything. It's a stellar cast. And like I'm not saying this movie doesn't have a stellar cast, but you get down further than like It's top heavy. <laughs> yeah. You get down to Ed Jemison and you're like, oh cool. His first movie. <laughs> <laughs> a circus acrobat who returned to being a circus acrobat after briefly exploring being an actor but doesn't speak English. And Scott Kahn. And Scott Kahn. And pre-fame Casey Affleck. Let's get into it though. Who is famous? George Clooney's famous. Uh, he is Danny Ocean. We open with him in his parole interview where he is funny and charming and convincing enough to be released on parole. Immediately goes to Atlantic City and he... He doesn't leave the state though. He doesn't because he's in New Jersey. He's in New Jersey. Yeah. I, did, I did check that. I was like, has he left the state no, already? No, it's very soon though. Frank, who is a, a blackjack dealer or a card dealer at a casino, he directs him to Rusty Brad Pitt, who is teaching celebrities, quote unquote, poker. So immediately we have this Soderbergh trademark. He loves flipping between blues and yellows. Yellows mean public safe spaces and blues and silvers and that kind of stuff is sort of a more nefarious thing. There are charts out there, you can see weird timelines of this movie, and it literally goes like blue, yellow, blue, yellow, blue, yellow, blue, yellow throughout, or some weird shit like that. A very pedantic man. I really like the line, you know, she already left me once, I don't think she'd do it again just for kicks, when he's saying how, you know, the only crime he's convicted of, because he's only alleged to have done these other things. It's all just a downward spiral after his wife left him and all this sort of stuff. I fucking love that these celebrities, they're all TV level actors, and not a one of them is more famous than the a-listers who are but they had to do this like i feel they had to get tv famous people to sort of make this scene play because if you had more really famous film actors with george clooney there it'd look a bit strange i love that it's like when they walk out everyone mobs toe for grace <laughs> which has never <laughs> happened ever should we run through who's who's here and like what they're from sure joshua jackson star of dawson's creek toe for grace star of that 70s show shane west i believe at that point once again although he would later go on to be an AER, which yes. <laughs> is, is wonderful. Yeah. Barry Watson. Star of Seventh Heaven. And Holly Marie Crimm, sort of Ch- charmed, yeah, yeah. Charmed, yeah, yeah, charmed. So, like, they're all kind of, like, what would be at this point, like, CW level. Like, you are, would, they, yes. are all these shows in the WB? Probably. Think... They'd probably all be Warner Properties if they're, you know, in this big Warner movie. That seventy show was on Fox, but, but, like, again, like, nowadays, all these actors would yeah. be, like... But, I mean, this goddamn film contains a joke about Andy Garcia talking about the owner of HBO or something shit in one scene which is a joke for nobody I laugh <laughs> of course you did yeah like these dumb actors trying to learn poker and Topher Grace is like I got all reds or whatever <laughs> it's like oh good excellent stuff I like that they don't point out that that's not how poker yeah, works I will actually say one of the things that you texted me while you were watching it like god this movie's so cool or whatever and like or so effortlessly cool I think something that really really works in its favour throughout is they don't really do a lot of exposition like there's a lot of stuff you can you can figure out for yourself. The only time they get close to exposition is when they 
walk through the what is happening during the heist, which I feel like probably was the studio coming to them and say, like, I want you to have Andy Garcia down the telephone explaining what's happening for the audience to understand because that's where it kind of gets, like, twisty-turny. Yeah. But, yeah, like, there is very little exposition in the early part. The first half hour of this movie is basically just, like, here are so many characters. <laughs> and I feel they treat you like a grown-up and they just let it play out and it works. And I think that really does contribute to the cool and it's little things like... I mean, imagine you don't know the rule. I mean, not everyone does know everything about poker, but there are probably people that look at that and are like, oh, is that not good? But, like, you can get it from Brad Pitt's face and, like, the way it's played and stuff. Like, they don't feel the need to have him deliver a line about that's nothing, Topher, or, you know, like, I think that's that's really cool. So I do want to ask, so Brad Pitt tells them to, like, go all in and stuff like that to kind of, like, play up the hands and whatnot. Do you think that is him knowing that Clooney does has something and is just trying to, like, get some money out of these kids? kids or no, do you gen- I, I think it's meant to be Brad Pitt isn't reading him correctly yeah I think it's meant to be Danny is the, the the leader he's the smart one he is you know Rusty's great but Danny's better like I don't know I don't think he's in on it because this is the first time they've seen each other in a long time and like there is that sort of tension about he says oh I've just been in prison and they're talking about this this job that they did and I think there is some sort of level of resentment still from Rusty like he's not angry with him but I don't think he He's like over the moon or anything so I read that as just oh yeah Danny's just a little bit better at poker than, than Rusty is but there is certainly an argument because they do it later in the film they stage a little tiff between them that was entirely planned ahead of time or or they just know each other so well that they were able to improvise it on the fly I don't know yeah. like, obviously like these two are two of the biggest stars in the on the planet yep. but they kind of feel like more at that point kind of tabloid stars like they're not people drawing like you look at George Clooney's like list of movies that he's done and it's like he has Batman and Robin four years before this like The Thin Red Line which definitely isn't a big barnstorm of a movie it's like yeah. Three Kings Oh Brother Where Art Thou they're all these like, little tiny indie things it feels like he's still they are both of... very famous for being handsome and yeah exactly like Clooney nice. is coasting off of ER making him a movie star but he's not a franchise person yeah. and yet this is their franchise and the same thing with Brad Pitt where like obviously Brad Pitt has Seven and Twelve Monkeys and Fight Club and stuff he's also still at the same time showing up in Snatch as yeah. I Irish pikey. This is so bizarre that this is these two actors wielding their celebrity and their fame at their peak. And like they're it, famous it, for being them. It's not the careers, it's just they're they're like memes. They are people they're just huge celebrities, you know. It's not like yeah. But this is this is the only movie that I feel like actually manages to like drill down to that. Like this is yeah. I mean I'm not gonna say this movie's meta, like I think this the Ocean's Twelve is more meta than this one is. Oh sorry, but, you mean Julia Roberts playing Tess playing Julia Roberts. Oh, it's such a fantastic scene. It's it's so good. Just the whole time where they're like talking about like You do we look need like you, her. We need you to pretend to be this person and then you get the like concierge at the hotel just going like Julia Roberts is coming. It's wonderful. But like yeah, this movie is so much about playing off your perception of who these celebrities are and playing off their just natural charisma. And it's what makes it so wonderful is that like this is a really fun crime caper that kind of just propels you along. Like it's too hours but it's a breezy two hours yeah and it's pretty um, low stakes like you assume they're gonna get away with it no one is ever like really at gunpoint or in serious danger like it's just fun it's just like we're going along on this little group of friends being friends and doing sexy crimes you know <laughs> yeah and this is just full of like crowd pleasing dialogue like you know when Danny like tells him his plan and like he's gonna hit these three casinos uh, that share a single 
little vault and all this and like you get Brad Pitt being all did you practice that speech he's like yeah a little bit did I rush it it felt rushed no 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 it was good it's like you know it just feels like it's it's never taking itself seriously and I think Soderbergh was the guy to do this because in his own words he says he just kind of sits back and lets people act like he doesn't directly interfere with his actors too much once they're actually shooting like he does a lot of advanced prep but then once they're on scene he's like they're professionals they know what they're fucking doing and you get that sense here in a lot of ways this might be the most Soderbergh-y movie there is and yet it's almost like the like oh this is the like mainstream one or whatever but like you can tell everyone's relaxed and having a good time yeah I mean and you get like little things where like there's the scene where they're looking at the the massive blueprints of what the vault looks like and they're discussing it and the security guard wants in and for a split second like oh shit have they been rumbled and it's just like no no they're just so charismatic they've talked this security guard into letting them walk out with the blueprint just gonna take these home bring them back tomorrow if that's okay oh yeah of course yeah yeah, putting it as a question you know yeah it's just it's just wonderful yeah (laughs) so they go to Ruben who is just a rich Jewish man played by Elliot Gould of course Ross and Monica's father for younger people so he's gonna bankroll the operation and the way they get him is they reveal that all these casinos are owned by Terry Benedict who is his sort of business rival I love the sort of dumbness of them you know them playing stupid and it's like there's a Terry Benedict casino it's like oh yeah yeah I guess they are he's like don't think I don't know what you're doing (laughs) it's like are we doing something (laughs) I was like oh oh, sorry I love his little when he's talking about the three most famous Las Vegas casino robberies of all time that little montage of the three of those I think that's really really fun and like take my breath away playing as the guy gets shot and stuff like that I think that's just a fun little the most peril in the movie is these three failed robberies that... and it's also kind of brutal because it's like it's security guards for the casino and they like full on murder a man yep and they you know break that dude's face and yeah and like I was watching it last night and I was like wait are they allowed to just kill him I know he's robbing them but can they shoot him to death yeah like he is, he is not a threat to human life or anything like that he's just running out with money like but then again the police and people who are not threats to human life anyway yeah. <laughs> that was last week indeed so you know they start putting their crew together once they have his funding and Frank Bernie Mac by the way the late great Bernie Mac playing Frank uh, he transfers to Vegas to be the sort of man on the inside Rusty goes out and gets the Malloy brothers Scott Kahn and Casey Affleck people with much more famous relatives of course they're their kind of drivers and just sort of bitch work really <laughs> like they do a lot of like pretend bodyguards and yeah pretend... they're like they're great because they just keep cropping up they don't have a definable role they yeah. just do everything that no one else can do like you're thinking like oh they're gonna be getaway drivers but really they don't do that much driving like there's no chase scene in this movie really I do want to find out because like obviously they do their big list of like all the kinds of people that they need a Boski a Jim Brown the biggest Ella Fitzgerald ever yeah yeah and it's like and like it's all like Ella Fitzgerald like she breaks glass they need someone who does that kind of stuff yeah and I want to ascribe each uh, actor to I like th- what they were supposed to be so Soderbergh made up all these terms the Jim Brown is meant to be the sort of the fake racial interaction so that's the Bernie Mac Matt Damon right. thing okay so, so it's not like they're plays that they need to be doing on this rather than yes okay yes I believe they say two Jethro's 
that's the brothers. It's all just kind of fun, and yeah. these two are fun. I like how often they play the same bit, which is just having an argument in a They're public space. And people... All of it improvised, just those two just bickering. And it's, it's <laughs> which is good. why it would have been so good if it was Affleck. Like ben I know. Affleck. It still kind of works, though. They do have a chemistry, and like they are genuinely... Stuff like Matt Damon like, just left in the van with them and being like, oh, fuck this, I'm out of here. Like, it worked. Um, I like because like, the conversation jumps so many times that you don't know whether or not it's like a continuous thing where like he's only been in there for 30 seconds <laughs> or whether or not he's been in there for like 15 minutes because the conversation jumps around so often yeah and and him like walking in just as they're coming out it's like did they steal this thing in literally a minute like <laughs> these two are good they're definitely like the least utilized of the kind of like the main 11 but they're probably also the most consistently funny you got livingston dell played by eddie jameson as i said in his first ever movie which is crazy <laughs> that they cast him uh, he's been on some stuff on tv but yeah. he's like their nerdy electronic man um basher so here's don, by no one here's don Cheadle. well yes an uncredited don Cheadle. so the poster for this movie they've taken the big five of clooney pitt damon garcia and roberts and they've arranged them alphabetically and don Cheadle wanted poster credit which would have made him the first name build so they didn't want to do that so he was like well don't credit me at all then so he is not in this movie so there you go he is doing a hall of fame bad accent but it's the, so good it's fucking awful he went to London and researched this thing and <laughs> people were telling him it was good he fired his agent apparently because she told him it was good and then it turned out it wasn't but I it's, hope it's, he's joking about that you shouldn't fire people over things like that but you know it's wonderful just like the scene later on in the movie where he's trying to describe stuff and he's doing like some terrible fake cockney rhyming slang or in Barney Barney Rubble trouble like <laughs> fuck off that's like, not how cockney writing slang works yeah so he's there for blowing stuff up I guess the amazing yen played by Shabo Quinn who it was a legitimate circus performer and was noticed and was told to audition for this and does not speak English and you can tell he has literally four film credits to his career yep. all of them are Ocean's movies indeed he's probably done pretty well out of these then he's their grease man their sort of acrobat to be fair to him he does one of the coolest things in the movie. Saul, played by Carl Reiner. I don't know how to really describe his role. He's like an actor. He's like a con man. He's good at pretending to be rich people and I, or is his real skill that he can fake a heart attack? I don't know. I think it's like the accent man. Like, he can be vaguely Eastern European. Yes. I like the pitch. A lot of these people you just hear about them but you don't see them trying to convince them and stuff and like you know you see Clooney like being unimpressed with Yen until he does the backflip and stuff and like we got a grease man but you actually see Rusty going to Saul who's all like you know I saw you back here and I saw you I know what you had for breakfast this morning you know all this sort of shit you don't actually know what Rusty says to him but that's you know part of the charm but I do think it's interesting that this is the first one we get to see them actually attempting to recruit them but probably because he's like a legend kind of thing it feels like again like a meta commentary on Carl Rayner because like Carl Rayner is obviously like the writer creator of the Dick Van Dyke show Mm -hmm. he did the jerk he is a legend of comedy and you kind of have him playing this kind of thing where it's like it gives the movie an air of legitimacy to yeah. have this kind of like elder statesman kind of character come on not Mike Myers not Mike Myers <laughs> I just want to say like this is completely on a tangent but Carl uh, Rayner will be in Toy Story 4 which is about to come out when we're recording this but his character is called Carl Rhinoceros <laughs> Oh, that movie deserves to make two billion dollars. Um, <laughs> they need one more. I love the scene of them sat there in the bar yep. and like they both look so dejected and they're just like, "Do we need one more? We need one more." Well, you say they. 
Danny's talking to him fucking self. Brad Pitt's just <laughs> staring off off camera and he's like, you think we need one more, don't you? All right, we'll get one. And your final person is Linus, played by Matt Damon. And he's a pickpocket and they don't really do anything with this at the moment. They're like, you know, you're Bobby Caldwell's kid and Bobby Caldwell will feature in a future movie, but it's kind of in the same way that Saul is like a legend and you don't really know why. It's like, oh, he's like a legacy or whatever. And it's just like, you know, ostensibly they're just getting him because he's a good pickpocket. I mean, that is the main function he he does but like we see that Danny is kind of a good pickpocket as well but it's like he's there for more than that he gets a through line I would say in this movie where a lot of people are kind of just playing versions of themselves with different names and just being cool I feel he kind of gets his own little story and the stuff with them at the bar and like him lifting something from under Clooney's hand and stuff like that I think that's all really cool yeah I mean it's interesting because he is the last one he's the last of the main actors to get introduced it's about 30 minutes into the movie yeah at this point he is big he has been the title character in Saving Private Ryan, he's got his Oscar for Goodwill Hunting, but it does feel early in his career. Like, yeah. he isn't born yet. Yeah, he doesn't feel like a blockbuster, A-list, put him in a movie and people will come see it guy. He feels like someone who has, yeah, through I his think, talent, found his way into big movies. This feels like, I think I said to you, like, is this the movie that ordains I think Matt so, Damon? And, it, and, it's, and that feels meta, because they're sort of grooming him to be another Danny, another Rusty type thing, you know? Like, he, that is his arc, but he is comes in as this rookie that everyone is kind of like mocking and by the end of it he has one of the bigger roles in it and he's like side by side with Clooney towards the end yeah. and everything. And, so. and it feels like in the next two movies he has a bigger role. Oh gotcha. But I don't know whether or not that is because like when he comes back it's the same year that Born Supremacy comes out is, is when Ocean Toss comes out and then by the time Ocean 13 he is basically the second or third lead of this franchise and Born at the same time. That kind of interesting like meta commentary that this movie is so much of a kind of like I, I don't want to say it's like a pastiche of like film but it definitely does feel in some ways that it's got a lot more to say about the film industry than you'd expect a bunch of scrappy con men doing a casino heist would would have and maybe that is because Ocean's Eleven is based around the Rat Pack and it's a movie that's kind of like got baked in Hollywood pedigree to it and like this archetype of like you know the rookie I feel that's they are filling these classic roles for this little dirty dozen except it's 10 but 11 but whatever also another Soderbergh trademark he loves a fucking montage and uh, this one where they're recruiting everyone is a good one and we'll get some more good ones with them like building the fake vault and everything so Danny explains the extreme difficulty of what they're going to do for the first because so far all we know is oh we're going to knock off three casinos we don't know how they're going to do it and they don't actually say the plan right here it's just okay here's the vault there's a big tunnel with lasers there's, there's armed guards there's constantly changing security passes the other big thing here is they reveal how much money they're going after and how because by law these casinos must have enough to cover a bet and it's a fight weekend there's going to be at least 150 million dollars in the vault and it's a pretty good one like this is where you would expect in other movies they would tell you how they're going to try and do it which they never really do we just see them doing it no, it, it's a wonderful thing of, like, this movie gives you information as and when you need it. Yes. But at no point do you feel lost in understanding what the goal is for a scene, really. Every single scene you get, like, even if they don't explain to you, like, what the ultimate outcome of it's going to be, very quickly you kind of get caught up onto, like, what they're hoping to achieve from, like, each individual step of the heist. You know, and we get another montage here because they've all got to do recon work and figure out who's doing what and when and who the guards are and all this and, you know, Bernie 
Charlie Mack eavesdropping on the other dealers and writing things in his crossword puzzle, which he didn't really need to do, but it's fun. Drivers with the balloons over the camera and Livingston sort of slipping backstage with his stolen pass thanks to a stripper. and That fun little beat of him sweating. He's got the map written on his hand of the, the layout of the hallway so he can find his way out and he sweated it off because he's nervous and you see Danny and Rusty watching him through CCTV and it's like, oh, oh is he going to get caught? No, he doesn't. Another Soderbergh trademark, he likes you viewing a person from like a third person perspective, like through through CCTV, through videos, you know, that kind of stuff. He loves that shit. And also, it's a really weird beat, but Bernie Mac kind of making that used car salesman feel just uncomfortable to make him give him a discount. It's like, he's not really pulling a race card. He's not, he's almost hitting on him, but he's not. And Does he crush his hand? Yeah, and it's like, is he physically intimidating him? Because it feels like, it look, they just frame it as if he's just like squeezing his hand so hard that he's like willing to, and he's like talking about his, his social agenda and like, you know, lotions and, I don't know. It's a weird bit, but it's kind of, funny i don't know yeah i mean like he gets the car at the end for cheaper he gets them two vans which is important so the bit where this all sort of kind of takes a, a turn and where we sort of move into act two of this movie that just feels like one long act to be honest so linus is tasked with tailing terry benedict who was played by andy, andy garcia the guy that runs these casinos and he's learning his daily routine and all this and again another really good montage where you see everything he does in the casino on a daily basis and all this stuff but this is where we learn the real thing going on here. Rusty, while getting briefed by Linus, you know, he's like, oh, here comes the girl, the best part of my day. But I don't know her name. It's like, her name is Tess, because this is Danny's ex-wife, and this now raises the question of, is Danny doing this to get back at the guy that is now dating his wife? You know, and like, yeah, yes, is the answer there. Did Danny actually sign the papers? Uh, I don't know. Probably not. Because he, he says he gets them on his last day, and obviously he comes up with his entire plan in like whatever the drive is I'm just intrigued because she refers to him as X says did you get the papers but he keeps referring to his wife it's almost like he hasn't actually signed the papers consenting to well he says ex-wife at one point but then towards the end she goes that's my husband so the implication is no it's just one of those things where like the movie never makes it clear whether or not they are actually like formally divorced obviously they're separated and they haven't spoken in four or five years at this point but it is interesting that like it's not clear whether or not it has been legally annulled yeah, and you get this electric conversation between Clooney and Roberts, and I feel she is screwed over here. She does not have anywhere near enough to do, and she is sort of boiled down to a prize to be fought over. But yeah, I mean, considering considering she is four time Academy Award nominee Julia Roberts, she won the Academy Award for Best Actress last year for working with Soderbergh in yeah. Aaron Brockovich. And I feel she's probably the biggest star in this movie. I mean, in a coming, lot of off ways. The, coming off the nineties, she definitely is. I think she obviously like has a weaker 2000s but that's just in general Hollywood being shit to actresses in their 40s yeah. basically like the Oceans movies the only things you can write home about and she's got that wonderful wonderful scene in Oceans 12 mm-hmm. but like other than that can you name me anything else from the like 2000s that she's absolutely stellar in considering the fact that oh, in the 90s it's like Pretty Woman that's the enemy Pelican Brief My Best Friend's Wedding Notting Hill Runaway Bride it's just hit 
after hit after hit that she's doing. Yep, Julia Roberts is great. <laughs> oh yeah, Julia Roberts is great. Julia Roberts does so much with what she gets here, and I can understand her just wanting to do this because it's fun. Yeah. Have you heard the anecdote about how she got cast here? No, I've not. So this rumor had gotten out that she was charging twenty million dollars a picture at this stage of her career. George Clooney sent her a copy of the script with a handwritten note, and, a, and he'd stapled a twenty dollar bill to it, and he said, <laughs> "I heard you only you don't do movies for less than twenty these days." And then she signed on. So there you go. I love the movies because, like, she has the and credit in yes, this movie, which... but it's not a traditional and credit. Oh yeah, which is both after the like fold where you start getting the names like the top build guys, production company, and then it's like Casey Affleck, blah blah blah. She gets an introducing credit for this movie, mm-hmm. like Oscar Oscar winner Julia Roberts. I assume that was meant to just be like a little rib on her, to be honest. Because... I'm sure it is, but it's a wonderful, wonderful little rib. If it... And maybe it's a meta thing of them realizing in the final edit that like oh she's not in this that much and she doesn't do anything but she <laughs> but had again, fun she had fun i'm sure they all had fun and she is good what she's given yes this um, little conversation like, with with danny where they're like just trading barbs and stuff is really good yeah, i mean at the end of the day this is a movie that is juggling 13 characters yeah. whilst also doing some like quite complicated kind of like heist maneuvering around i mean like even when you look at movies like avengers like they mostly settle down to like we have seven or eight characters we have to function with this movie is adding like another five or six yeah. to the top of that. And, you know, you get the stuff with Benedict. They do some really shorthand stuff to make you not like him immediately of like, so she's like an art curator in this museum in the casino or above the casino or whatever. She asks him if he likes a painting and he just goes, I love that you love it or I like that you like it. And it's just so very quick. And Danny immediately, you know, he's clearly not an expert in art, but that he's, that he's able to joke about it, about Monet and Manet and all this sort of stuff. It's like an immediate this versus this thing of like, yeah. even if Danny isn't an expert, he has opinions and stuff. Whereas... I, did, I did enjoy that, like, they also drew paintings. Well, they also, exactly. paint, oh, they well, also they painted. Always, they found the time to paint from time to time as well. And just the dick measuring between Danny and, and Terry and stuff and him knowing about him immediately, that sort of all-knowing, omnipotent casino villain thing but yeah and also he won't kiss her in front of the cameras and stuff you know just all this stuff that just makes you immediately dislike this dude and just want these two to get back together crazy to me this is the first time they had ever met was doing this movie so that's that's crazy as in uh Clooney and Roberts because you just associate them probably just because of this but like they seem like they're in a little group together as a lot of this big cast. Oh yeah, that's the thing is like this is the first time that all these actors got to work together but they kind of become synonymous with each other. Yeah. So there's like a, it's a bit weird like I've seen this movie a bunch of times like still could not tell you why that demolition creates problems for them. Like I don't know what Bash's original plan was but it... Basically what he, they blew up the building but in the process of blowing up the building they did something to the electricity of the city that he was going to exploit to cause the power outage. Sure. But by doing the explosion he they triggered the thing that he was going to trigger himself because it's a flaw with the system. Yeah. But they did it by accident so they have to go in and fix the problem so he has to like... It, it, like I don't understand what the actual like mechanics of it are. Yeah, that's... It, yeah. it makes sense in terms of like, oh, this is a thing that shit about the way that Nevada's electric board sure. put the power in that accidentally gets tripped because... Yeah. And again, like, it's nice that like all this stuff is like seeded earlier on in the movie because like the casino they blow up is Ruben's casino yeah. know that he that he lost to Terry Benedict like it all works really nicely absolutely yeah and I think there was some weird stuff around the time this came out 
with like because it wasn't long after 9-11 and I, I don't know something happened I don't really know but I do really enjoy the shot of Don Cheadle sat there watching it on the TV screen and it's happening and then, behind him yeah. and it's happening behind him and you see the building like it's not all of it but you see just like the tops of this building go down and you're like <laughs> yeah what it does mean is they have to go and steal what he calls a pinch which is basically an EMP and this is the most exposition they really get is explaining the weird technical thing of like I feel these days you could just say an EMP and people would probably just know what it means because this has been in so many fucking action movies at this point but yeah they're off to a fancy made up university to steal this thing that will create a massive blackout to allow them to do this robbery and during it Linus is almost caught and Yen breaks his hand before that you do see Yen perform they've built this replica vault so they can practice and you see him perfectly execute the backflip and everything as a bit of foreshadowing it's very cool and you know you said earlier like how long is this but it is a really funny beat of Linus like walking in the door just as they're coming out and then they're having to watch him through the windows as he's running around in the security and all that but it's a weird little aside for the movie but it's fun because of the brothers and like basically like all it does is to function is to say like should they trust Linus because he's a bit of a hothead Yen has a broken hand Yen has a broken hand but then like the fact that like he smashes a window open and then jumps off the roof like there's nothing nothing that that causes to kind of like go like hey someone's stolen an EMP it only functions as far as like the two character based moments not in terms of like a plot moment no one is on the lookout for the white van that stole presumably quite a like a heavy duty weapon (laughs) that can can short out an entire city apparently in real life one of these things would struggle to knock out the power in a room let alone the whole of a city and like the only thing that could do that is a nuke but whatever movies so this is where we get the kind of staged blow up between Rusty and Danny because Danny is red flagged by the casino if he is seen he will be escorted out and he has to play quite a big role in the heist so he's sort of fucked it for them and this is all because of that little dick measuring contest with uh, with Benedict and all that and this does mean that Linus has to take a bigger role and I really like Rusty's giving him all that conflicting advice like don't look up don't look down make him laugh but don't be funny or, or no be funny but don't make him laugh make him like you but then forget you and then the now whatever you do don't and then he gets called away like it's cliche bullshit but it's funny and seeing it done by these two and like again this meta thing of like he's a he is like the next generation or like half a generation after Brad Pitt so like he does look like a child here being told what to do by someone much older than him and it, it just I think it all works really well I mean, we also get like the stuff like Rusty eating food oh, the most I feel this is the most pervasive piece of movie trivia in modern movies that like Rusty's always eating in every scene because he's too busy to sit down and have meals and all this shit these people would be busy yeah so the plan sort of starts a few days early because basically Saul is posing as like a as an important Russian generic like Eastern Bloc yes criminal mastermind so Benedict agrees to store this briefcase for him in the vault he agrees to it a few days ahead of time but then on the day that they're doing this you know it's fight night it's the next lowest thing it's Vladimir Kleshko all this shit Linus poses as a member of the Nevada Gaming Commission and he distracts Benedict by bringing these claims against Frank Yen is loaded into a little trolley and taken down with the briefcase and all this shit. They're almost rumbled by a man who recognises Saul as Saul. This man is named Bucky Buchanan, so uh, <laughs> Ben and Matt's marvellous journey, I guess, on IntoTheRealWorld.com. I really love Matt Damon being just the whitest man in the world and being terrified of Bernie Mac. Like, the one I really think of is when he lunges and he goes, oh dear god, and like, <laughs> it's all just really, really good stuff and Damon plays it so, so well and Bernie Mac is like, 
like improvising a lot of these like insults and like... It's, it's just him muttering under his breath and it's just yeah. it's it is just funny calling him cracker and like yeah. he turns out and goes like the Nevada Gaming Commission would never yeah. like, do, do this for someone and it's like is this a meta commentary on like the Nevada Gaming Commission actually being racist probably like, it's just a fun little beat and he of course then pickpockets the card and they use that and... meanwhile Danny is like loitering in the the lobby kind of thing or like hanging out by the slots and he is taken into a room by these huge men and an even bigger man shows up to ostensibly beat him up but then it turns out this guy's on his payroll and Danny escapes through the the ceiling and everything it's like a fun little beat and it's it's this trope of the guy that looks huge and intimidating is actually like a nice lovable idiot and oh my wife's pregnant again and all that sort of stuff and I just really like the idea of this guy making fake fight noises for like what half an hour I don't know <laughs> I like yeah like he makes the fake fight noises and then they walk in and he's not even like that badly beaten up like there's a little bit of blood yeah he's a little bit disheveled and it's like <laughs> you like throwing him around this room meanwhile Saul is like faking a heart attack which lets Livingston loop the security footage or change you know we don't know exactly what's going on at the moment but you know he he makes Linus disappear and it goes to pre-taped stuff so Linus heads is, down so and... Saul is eating some pills is that to help him fake the I wondered this if he's taking something to like taking too much of a medication or something that makes him have a mild thing or, like because he mentions he's got ulcers so I'm sat there going like is he doing something that's going to like affect his stomach acid that would cause him to be yeah. like visibly uncomfortable and maybe he has ulcers because he's done this a lot or something I maybe. don't know maybe, maybe he is maybe he's doing something but obviously like he's doing something that you, he's not faking the amount of sweat that he has <laughs> yeah, yeah. drenched in by the end of this scene but he is eating something I'm just, I'm just I'm sure there is something to do with like what he's actually doing there but I couldn't I get what the end point is but not necessarily what mechanics they are using to take us to the end point sure and you know Rusty shows up as a doctor and pronounces him dead and does some wonderfully hammy like over you know taking off the glasses and going this man is dead or you know like it's all just really good Linus you know figures out that that little argument was staged and like he's shocked to see Danny in the vents as they you know head towards the elevator shaft and all that stuff I love that the drivers are used in like their third different role in the same night all in front of CCTV like they've been chefs they've been bodyguards and then they're like the hotel security all in one it's like I know they're kind of nondescript but like this feels the most dangerous part of it but I guess well like the thing is Pitt does it as well where like Pitt is playing multiple characters like he is openly walking the the casino floor in a few seats time whilst also being a, a like walking in there and being a doctor in front of them yeah and then we move into the end game as it were with the scene they showed in a lot of the trailers is is Damon and, and Clooney descending down this elevator shaft on these like weird little high tension cables so Basher sets off his pinch which knocks out all the security and they get like 30 seconds to get down this elevator shaft and it's like this this is like the biggest stunt in the movie probably and it's like not even actually that crazy but it's like the closest thing they had to like a big sexy stunt and all that and like, yeah and the thing is it's, it's completely overshadowed by a movie that did a very similar thing about three years before this yeah this is true and you know they knock out the guards and Yen emerges from his little trolley and they have the very brief moment of suspense because the briefcase is on top of the trolley and it isn't normally and there's floor sensors and I like that the the fake jewels that Saul is having stored are actually part of the bomb mechanism or whatever and he's like done his flip successfully and they plant the charges but then like his cast is caught in the door and like he almost dies and but there's no batteries in the remote you know it's all just dumb 
but kind of funny, you know. And this is a great one use of the f word you get in like a in a PG thirteen <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Like when, like where the fuck were you guys? Where the fuck is, you been? Yeah, yeah, is wonderful and a lot better than like some other movies do nowadays with yes. their like carefully deployed one f word. If you if touch you her, touch I will her, fucking, fucking kill, kill you. you. Oh Jesus! So Rusty at this point calls Tess on a phone that Danny slipped into her coat and I'm sorry but this movie has not aged more than the line I don't have a cell phone that Tess says it's like fuck you don't you and it's got like the little pull out antenna and everything yeah so he calls her to speak to Benedict those things weigh a lot and he puts it in her pocket and she she takes the coat off because he says get your coat and you even if you don't feel it while you're wearing it you'd feel it when you lifted your coat up but whatever and then pickpockets i'm sure like oh, there's the whole thing with like pickpockets so they can lift something from you and you don't feel the change in weight which yeah. seems insane to me because like i mean i know that pickpockets go around sealer like wallets and stuff like that but i'm like i'm pretty sure i'd be well aware of like i'm consciously aware there are things in my pockets you know yeah like, <laughs> yeah so rusty basically alerts him to the fact hey you're being robbed and like they restore the live footage and he basically demands, right, if you escort half this money out for us and put it in this van that has a camera and everything, you can keep the other half, but we have placed explosives on both sets of money, and if you in any way try and stop this, we will blow up both, and like that great line of, you can lose 80 million privately or 160 publicly, and then just going straight into talking to Tess, who's figured out what's going on and all this shit, like... And it's like, oh, okay, this is their plan. That's pretty clever. And, you know, you've got the little camera in the back of the van and it's all, you know, it seems like really cool. And it's like this whole thing of them not actually telling you what the plan is until you see it. It's like, oh, okay, here we go. And then then that turns out to not at all be the plan. I think it's just really clever. And it's like, this is your first version of the plan or whatever. Because, you know, the SWAT team arrive and they retake the vault and it's like, oh no, they've blown half the money. And then when you get to the van, turns out that's been remotely operated, which is a nice little callback to when we met these brothers, it was a race between a real monster truck and a remote-controlled one. So Casey Affleck has been remote-controlling the van, and there is no money in this van. It's all just flyers for hookers, which they blow up. And then you get the big reveal, which is just so fucking cool. I don't know, on some level, maybe you can see this twist coming, but I've... I mean, like, I've seen the movie before. I pegged that it was Brad Pitt's voice... Yes. ...as the head SWAT guy. Yes. ...about, like, just after, like, Matt Damon says, like, I'm sure I could have earlier, but, like, the moment Matt Damon does his line of saying like they're shooting or whatever he says yeah. as in that scene and then like they go back to the SWAT guy I was like oh no that's Brad Pitt Brad yeah. Pitt doing an accent they almost would have been better off just having completely different people do the voices and just claiming it was those two doing voices because yeah you do definitely recognise those voices when you hear them but they intercepted the 911 call everyone who's already finished their part is one of the SWAT officers they use the fake vault they built for practice they use that to video themselves robbing them and that is the video that was shown and they are actually just the SWAT officers and they just march all the money out in their equipment bags and they get away with it and they just walk and stand by a fountain and Claire de Lune plays and it's just really nice and it's a clever yeah. little heist and we yeah. do we do get the bit that annoys me is that as they walk out they do lift the masks yep. so you can see the faces for the reveal it's like you're still in the fucking casino maybe they wouldn't get a shot of your face but some of you have been pretty openly walking around the casino <laughs> 
that whole shot is like a direct nod to the original film, which they tried to generally get away from, but there's a scene where they're like walking down the street and it's meant to like directly mirror that. But you get the whole thing with Terry is caught on camera saying that he would trade the money for Tess or whatever, and then she leaves him and runs to Danny and all this stuff. And it's like, eh, I guess. I mean, that is a lot of money, and I don't know how long these two are supposed to have been together, but then on the other hand, this man is very, very, very rich, and while he's annoyed, he's lost this money I don't think it will actually hurt him that much and we see in later movies it doesn't because he's still rich uh, so it's more just the notion that, and you get the idea that like he would trade like a thousand dollars for Tess just because someone robbed him and he won't have that that's what they're going for there rather than like oh this woman is worth more than any amount of money it's like no I think it's more just that is his outlook it's that he's been embarrassed and he doesn't want that and that's more important to him winning is more important than Tess there you go I found a way yeah and then you just get this nice happy ending with like Rusty and Tess waiting for him when he gets out of prison and I like that they do the three to six months later title card there after he says yeah I'll be out in about three to six months and it's got this weird ending where like they're sort of being tailed as they leave and this odd sounding song that doesn't fit the rest of the soundtrack plays and it's just like oh okay well I had fun. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that the soundtrack is... Oh, the soundtrack's so good. I think some of it's really good, but I also think some of it's kind of, like, weirdly, like, not in the tone with the movie. Like, yeah. or the score is, at least. Like, there's yeah. bits of the score I'm just like, going like, this This feels very, like, 2001 score kind of thing. Are you talking about um, stuff like when you're in Chicago with Linus, and, like, there's this weird, like, I don't know, like, the music feels out of place. Like, yeah, like... I the, think the, all the yeah, stuff with, like, the upright basses and the, the jazz and all that, all that is really, really good good it's just there's weird little bits there that do feel very old movie it is odd like and i mean like i mean apparently like david holmes did the music for the the score he's an electronic musician and composer i feel like when the mood score kind of goes like a bit more electronic it kind of feels a bit out of place it's kind of that kind of like late 90s where the electronic music didn't sound particularly good no but no, like, it, it's all very good the, the last ending shot is weird you get the scene where like rusty throws the burger out because he's got heartburn yes you get julia roberts being sat at the back of the car looking like a goddamn movie star which is mm-hmm. wonderful and then like we're maybe almost setting off a, a sequel but yeah i mean andy garcia is in all three oceans movies isn't he yep but he doesn't circle back into being like a key part of the plot until the third one or am i misremembering i the think movie? my memory of 12 is not great but i think he actually helped get them caught kind of thing right. I, I think that vincent cassell is like working for him is it vincent right. cassell i think it's vincent cassell, vincent cassell is yes yeah, yeah i think he's like in some way in league with him and he's like got his revenge or whatever and then in 13 he's helping them take down Al Pacino and it's like okay sure there are 13 actors who are in all three of these movies yeah. Topher Grace almost makes it 14 but sadly he he is not in Ocean's 13 there you go um, you know it's not the most high art piece of cinema ever made but it's just it's really fun it's light it's fun it's an easy watch it's very well executed Soderbergh makes it very visually cool these actors make it fun to go along with them even on some of the beats that are generic or cliche or whatever and it's just you're just having a good time hanging out with your famous pals you know (laughs) it is a thing unto itself there are movies that have more famous people in them but like this i feel its legacy is like they just got a lot of very famous people and they had fun and it's a sexy casino
casino heist and it's like i wish there were more heist movies yeah this is like a really good fun heist movie i mean i'm just trying to think like is there another time that these burn after reading is the only time i feel like outside of this that you get like a Clooney pit movie that's the only other one with them both in it yeah i think pit and roberts were in the mexican were they both in that they were both in a movie straight after this and they were both i think in Clooney's first film he directed which i forget yes julie roberts and brad pitt were both in the mexican isn't that the one which is like they Terrible. don't actually have any scenes together yes i think that might be the case <laughs> or very few at least yeah um, it, it's one of those things where like it's two of the biggest movie stars in the world and yet they've got like so little screen time together yep. a bunch of these people would collaborate again a lot of them would be in soderbergh movies again in the future yeah. i mean he makes it makes a few of them it's kind of quite easy for him to have actors be in his movies <laughs> yes this is true this cemented the public friendship of a lot of these actors and like the trope of them all collaborating again even if they're not actually in as many movies as you think they are outside of oceans it feels like an ongoing thing of like if you see any combination of these guys together again you're like ah fun like in oceans you know and it's like that's that's what this did and it's it's like an easy sort of lowbrow thing but done incredibly well and I think that's a lesson that can be learned and like you know you don't have to come up with the most artsy over the top complicated plot in the world you can just take something very simple and just do it incredibly well and it will work yeah I think I think kind of the point is like we chose to do this movie instead of doing Traffic or Aaron Brockovich yeah but like uh, Soderbergh won his Oscar for Traffic, and we've gone with like, no, let's do the the fun breezy yeah. movie of the year afterwards. Like there are other directors where we could have gone for like the breezy fun take, but we've gone for like the kind of like more dramatic side of their career and stuff like that. But like yeah. this one felt like this one feels very emblematic of where Hollywood was in two thousand one. It's as we said before, like effortlessly rewatchable. It's so breezy, so quick, so clever, stylish and, and stylish. Yeah, it's just it's just good fun. This is not one of my like 10 favorite movies of the decade but it is one that like if it's on tv i'll go like you know what i'm gonna sit and watch yeah and like when we were putting our versions of the list together it's certainly not something and we're not ranking them i wouldn't put it top five i probably wouldn't put it top 10 but i was like i can't not talk about this if we're talking about the 2000s because it's just such a memorable juggernaut for me particularly like, i remember the commercials coming out for this and like, oh look at all these famous people it's a movie i one of the first dvds i owned and i've just seen this so many fucking times and it's just yeah I couldn't not talk about it. Yeah, there are there are a lot of movies we've got coming up, which are obviously like the most acclaimed. Yes, I feel I feel through our first four, there's been a lot of like, well, this isn't the best movie ever, but I like it, and we do have some more like obvious bangers coming up, including next week. It's gonna be the Royal Tenenbaums. Go to EnterTheRealWorld.com. Go to Mike and Matt on SoundCloud. Listen to all the good stuff we've got going on there, and we will see you next time. I don't know if you've been able to find out in all of your research, will there be movies? There might be some movies. There, there might be some movies. There's a catchy name for a podcast. There might be some <laughs> movies. We'll see you next week, everyone. Goodbye. <laughs>